number 604. Number 604. Number 604, is it on there? A little louder. Number 604, how's that? <laughs> let's, let's stand together while we sing. singing as you are seated you may turn to number 392 number 392 come we
group, you're singing good tonight. <laughs> Let's go back over to number 605. I'm sorry, number 603, when we all get to heaven. Number 603. We're so grateful uh, this evening for the wonderful day you've given us to serve you, to worship you. I pray that this time of offering will be a blessing as we give and that uh, our missions and our uh, events and our activities and things we support around the world will be blessed by our offering tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Dear Church. Dear friends. Hello, my name is Emily. My name is Grayson and I'm nine years old. I realize you might not remember where you know me from. That's why I'm sending you this letter. I'm writing to tell you how much I appreciate your gift. I grew up next to the oldest Catholic church in Montreal. When I was little, my parents told me we were moving. I work with refugees who come to America from Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist countries. I knew there was a God, but I didn't understand who he was. I did drugs, and my self-esteem was zero. I live in the Bronx. I was a single mother trying to raise two kids, and if that sounds hard, it's because it is. We left all our family and friends and went to start a church in a city where we didn't know anyone. Many people thought if we wanted to share Christ with Muslims, we should move overseas. When I wasn't selling drugs, I cleaned carpets. That's how I ended up in a new church and meeting the pastor there. My kids started going to after-school tutoring at a ministry center down the street. And I started noticing how they would act different when they would come home. I was desperately looking for the perfect recipe for happiness. That's when a friend at work suggested I go to her church. One day a package came in the mail. Inside were cards and letters from a kid's Sunday school class. I was looking for something. I don't know what. And so I went to that new church's first worship service. My kids after school program asked if I could help out. And I felt so welcome there, we started going to their church on Sundays. The first time I went, I cried every tear in my body when I realized there was a God who loved me more than I could ever love myself. My wife and I want every Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist to meet someone who can point them to Christ. And we used to feel pretty lonely in that work. But now, we no longer feel alone. The cards said things like, we're praying for you and we love you. We put the cards on our refrigerator and I look at them every day. I found Jesus at that new church and now I walk in the light. And that's why I'm writing to say thank you. I have a joy in my heart and you helped make it possible. Your gifts to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering helped start the church where I and my kids gave our lives to Jesus. Now I'm a new person. So I thank you and I thank God. We missionaries could never do what we do without you. And we could never say thank you enough. Thank you for sending someone for me. Thank you for remembering me. Thank you for giving. Sincerely, Emily. Your missionary, Trent. Your friend, Grayson. Your brother in Christ, David. Sincerely, Mildred. That is a video there from the North American Mission Board, and it, obviously that's a thank you for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and for that, but um, you know, it also applies for any of our missions funds, including our IMB missions that we had for Lottie Moon. And um, you know, when we give, we sometimes forget when we give to missions and give to reaching folks for Jesus, you know, down, it might not be right away, but the months and years ahead, those gifts do change lives, and folks are saved from that. So uh, it's certainly exciting and encouraging to be able to give. If you have your Bible, and I hope, hopefully you brought it, you want to open your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15. We are going to look at three parables tonight. This is all about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. It's all about losing something and it's about being spiritually lost in fact when we get to the uh, parable of lost son that's better known as the prodigal son it's a very well-known parable it's one for us that we um, probably could um, all stand up here and share by memory so why don't you turn there it's luke chapter 15 we'll look at the entire chapter all 32 verses 
several folks have asked me, he says, from this morning, says, well, Daniel, we, great, we call Chris and Lauren, and what's next? So it's kind of, well, what do we do now? So I'll tell you a, a time frame of some things that will happen now. Chris is, um, he, you know, obviously he's got to go back home this week and share with his folks at his church what's going on and about his move and everything. He told me um, he's found a home in Nicholasville that he intends on renting. So um, that's where uh, they'll probably uh, move up here. He says it's just such a short amount of time to actually find a house to purchase. It was hard, so he was able to find a place not too far uh, to rent. But uh, his first Sunday here will be Sunday, February 3rd. So that is, I believe that's Super Bowl Sunday. So that'll be his very first Sunday here. Uh, in the meantime, he'll be in transition, uh, saying goodbye to friends and um, folks he knows there at his current church, as well as obviously moving. So it'll be a very busy uh, next three weeks for him, uh, for sure, about that. So then Chris shows up here, and, um, and David, I was so proud. I mean, we had, uh, that band had one practice. I mean, that was a good, uh, good band for one practice. And you were a member of the band, so we had a great little group and, um, uh, t- together for one practice. But we have to then develop a worship band and praise team. So it looks like we already got a good start of one. Uh, and then when that gets going, probably around Easter, maybe a few weeks or so after, we hope to launch a second service. So the latter of the two services, the later service, will be the contemporary worship service. So we're looking at three, four months down the road for all this, and there'll be a bunch of hoops we have to jump through. Um, I'll probably be having a meeting with, because right now we have ushers for one service and greeters for that. You know, again, when you have a second service, all that doubles and multiplies. You'll need more folks passing the offering plate. You'll need more people greeting and at the doors. You'll need more folks passing out bulletins. So it places a lot more responsibility uh, on the um, on the welcoming team. So that will all, all those type of meetings will have to happen, and that type of planning will all occur in the next three to four months uh, to certainly be. And I tell you, the biggest challenge in two services. Um, is children's church you know we have children's church right now for birth well the birth the actual children's church starts at age three um and it goes through second grade you know i guess the nursery you know because you're now going to introduce nursery children's church extended care all of that going on at a second time so there's there's a lot of logistical uh opportunities i guess for you to serve as well as connect when you have two worship services and I'll tell you, in truthfulness, too, maybe you have thought, okay, how can I get involved here? What are some more things I can do? And that does allow that. The great thing about two services is say you heard, <clears throat> you heard that music and you say, Daniel, I, I'm not into that stuff. I like my hymn book I sing out tonight. Amen. That's great. That's what I grew up on. But you know what you can do? You can serve during the second service. While that music's going on at 11.30, you could be out there, or you could be downstairs serving the children. So it's, it does allow you, so you can come to church at 9, go to Sunday school, and then go, <clears throat> go serve. So it allows that opportunity, so you, know, you don't have to miss church, so to say, while you certainly serve and do that. But um, be praying about that, think about that. There'll be a lot of, um, a lot of changes ahead in, uh, in, in implementing two services with that. All right, we're going to see here in our Bibles here. Luke chapter 15. Remember, next Sunday night... We have Todd Ott preaching, so he'll be up here. Todd is a Bible scholar. You'll receive a blessing. Then we also have our bi-monthly business meeting afterwards. So next Sunday, uh, worship service, then our business meeting. So that's, um, that's a regular January business meeting. 
uh, for that going on. We're going to read three parables here in our Bible, and I want you to follow along. Uh, these are ones we all know. These are some of Jesus' most famous parables. And I think this is important because we have a world today, we have folks today who do not believe they are lost. Now, when I say lost, and by the way, go ahead and pull out your white piece of paper out of your sermon, uh, sermon inserts here. I want you to follow along if you have it. Definition of lostness, it's unable to find one's way. And the Bible teaches us that without Christ, we cannot find salvation. And Jesus, obviously, he's the light. Uh, I have a quote here on the little handout from Gary Miller, who will be here next Sunday morning. Gary says one of his statements about reaching men. Here's the ch- Most people think that m- reaching men is very difficult. But he- here's what most men are sitting at home, and they're not angry. They don't hate the church. They're not mad or upset. Not at all. They're not like that at all. To them... The average man, he's not homeless, he's not hungry, he's not hurting. He's just plain lost. Meaning he's sitting at home watching TV, he's watching NFL playoffs right now, watching basketball games, watching movies, just doing their own thing in a completely other world. And it's not that they're sitting around thinking, gosh, man, I got burned by the Lord, burned by the church. The church, Jesus, what's happened is, the devil has isolated them, thinking they're going to be perfectly fine. You just keep doing and having a good time and living the way you are. That is the challenge with reaching men today. And um, it's, you have to engage them and remind them and point out the Scriptures say that without Christ you are spiritually dead. And that's what we're going to see right here. Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Have you ever met somebody who complains? Have you ever met somebody who gripes? Well, Jesus did too. You know who's griping to Jesus? The church people are griping to Jesus. So he goes to church, and here's the... They're not just the regular church, they're they're the leaders. The Pharisees are the ones who are complaining the most. And look at the charge that Jesus is getting here. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In Bible times, if you went out to dinner or you ate with someone, that meant it was a gesture that you accepted them. They were, they were your friends. So that's what we see here. Um, he's getting this complaint. I one time heard uh, before Jerry, Jerry Falwell passed a few, uh, away a few years ago, and um, Sherry and I went down to the pastor's conference in 2007 at First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, and he spoke there. Not long after that, he passed away. And one of the things he said, I'll never forget this, when he goes out to eat, this is Jerry Falwell, he's the president of Liberty University, as well as he was the pastor there in Lynchburg, Virginia, at uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church. Well, what happens, he goes to a restaurant. Most of us don't, maybe you don't want to sit next to the bar. Jerry goes in there, and he would request... Every, every place, he would ask the hostess, says, I want to sit at the bar. He said, why would a renowned Southern Baptist evangelist and uh, a godly pastor and leader want to sit at the bar? And his reasoning is, he has led more people to Christ at the bar, at a restaurant, than any other avenue he goes. He, you go into, he says, usually, and he told the story, usually at the bar, people want to talk. So you, at a restaurant bar, you can strike up a conversation and he says right there, he'll lead people to the Lord. 
And that's essentially what Jesus Christ is doing here. He's going and he's hanging out with other people who are maybe rejected or frowned upon, where they maybe had a questionable reputation and go, why is he there? Why, why is Jesus welcoming this sinner into his company? Verse 3, So he told them this parable, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and, after the lost, and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he's found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need repentance. That phrase Jesus uses there at the very end, these ninety-nine people who do not need to repent, the reason why they do not need to repent is because they do not believe they are spiritually lost. They see no problem with the way they're leaving. Jesus is saying, you should be able to leave the 99 folks, 99 sheep, and you go after the one sheep. And we have to be able to say, do we think this way, Lord? Do I see people who's a lost sheep? Are we so focused on hey, you have 100 sheep and you lose one? Well, that's what, 99, who's going to know? Who can count the difference, tell the difference from looking at sheep between 99 and 100? But to the Lord, for someone who died on the cross for every single soul that's ever lived, and that will ever live, Jesus knew a sheep was missing. Jesus goes after the one. Our current... Um, Southern Baptist President J.D. Greer mentioned him this morning. I'll mention him again tonight. Two weeks ago, he launched a new initiative, and he's encouraging every SBC church with the title as Who's Your One? What that, mean, what that means is, this year in 2019, has God placed on your heart one person to share the gospel with? There are 15 million Southern Baptists. 15 million. If every, now not, I'm not talking about one a week. I'm talking about one a year. The truth is, most of us, we do not share the good news with one person a year. We don't. And I, and I mean sharing the good news. I mean that example, and I'm not saying you have to go to the bar. I mean, you go, like Jerry Falwell, you go and sit at a bar, and next thing you know, you're talking to someone who is unchurched, and you just say, hey, do you know Jesus saves? Do you know, have you ever trusted the Christ as your Savior? And that's what it means here when we see and when Jesus leaves the 99 sheep and he goes after well, the one, the good shepherd. Who's your one? Is there one person that God will put in your life that you will share the good news with? That's an easy commitment you can make to the Lord. And, you know, a lot of times you say, well, Daniel, I don't, I don't know any lost folks. I just can't think of anybody right now that doesn't know the Lord. Well, you need to start praying that God brings. We have no idea what's going to happen in June or July or August. God could bring someone in your path for the sole purpose for you to tell about Jesus. Second parable here, moving along. The first one here, it's about lost sheep, and we have to start seeing people as lost. The th third parable... It's about the lost coin. Have you ever lost money? If you lose money, you're going to go looking for it. 
it's one that um, uh, you know you, you, it's something you you guard. Our children, um, Benjamin Esther, they don't understand the value of money yet at all. It just doesn't. They don't. They don't know how to what what money means. Uh, they just know when they get something, they put in their piggy bank. Well, Benjamin loves playing on the iPad, and um, as well as all his friends do. He's not the only first grader who does that. And um, when you play, I don't know if y'all play video games, so if you play on the iPad, it wants you to buy stuff. Like you play, say it has ten rounds, well, you get stuck on round three. Well, in order to move past to the next level, you have to pay a dollar. Well, <clears throat> one day while Sherry was at work, um, he was stuck, and he wanted to, it was 99 cents, the purchase. He wanted to move to the next level. So I'm sitting on the couch, and Benjamin comes running in there holding a dollar bill. First, I think he actually brought a $5 bill, but then I said, no, it's only $1. You would go back and change it, and came back with a $1 bill. He gave me a dollar, and I bought the game from the new, go to the next level. It was a total waste of money, <laughs> complete waste. 99 cents to go to the next level. Now, <clears throat> I say it's a waste because I know the value of money. Some, some people have no concept of how, the value of money. But here in this, here in this story here, this woman, she's going to go lose money and she knows it's valuable. Now look at this. Look, this, is, this is, we basically, the goal of this is how much is a soul worth? How much does it cost? What's the price I'm willing to pay? And look what Jesus says here. Verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel, angels over one sinner who repents. When one person gives their life to the Lord, the scripture saying is, the angels in heaven rejoice. It's like your neighbor who lost money, who had something valuable and they lost it, and you, they're excited and you rejoice with them that they cleaned their house and they found their missing money. That's exactly what it's like when someone gives their life to Christ. And the housewife here is a symbolic, obviously, of the Lord, who's saying that she was determined. She lost her money, and she was going to find it. When God's children, the people whom He loves, wander away, or they're spiritually lost, He sweeps His house. He does what it takes to bring people home. God is working. And we have to be able to see that he, there's a sense of joy and excitement in, the, in heaven when folks are saved. All right. Those are the first two parables here. Parable of lost sheep, we go after sheep. Parable of lost coin, we do whatever it takes to find it. There's rejoicing in heaven. Here's the main event. Here's the one we're coming to. I want you to really follow along because we're going to go through this and I'm going to explain it. You have probably heard of more sermons on the prodigal son than anything else. Or, or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Those are the top two. And we're about to see a story here, and we typically view the lens of this, and we call it the parable of the lost son. But the problem with this, I want you to think about it. 
which son is lost? I want you think about that as we go through it. This is the prodigal son, or the parable of the lost son. And at the end of the question, we're going to say, which son was really lost? Because one of them ends up saved, and the other one remained lost. Don't you follow along here in your Bible. We're about to go through this. Verse 11. First sermon I ever preached in, um, in uh, Glencoe, Alabama, which is right outside Gadsden, was this, uh, and it's framed in my office there. It's right here. Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now, in Bible times, according to Leviticus 11.7, what it says in the Bible is if um, your daughters weren't included in the inheritance. If you had two sons or three sons, it didn't matter how many sons you had, the oldest son would always receive the most. So you would divide up. So if you had two sons, that meant the oldest son received, he had to receive a double portion. So he would get 66%, and the youngest son would receive 33%. 33 33.3, 66.6. So you say, Daniel, what if you had three sons? Then the oldest son would get 50%, and the two younger sons would each receive 25%. So if you were the oldest, you didn't want a bunch of little little sons after you because that meant your share would get smaller and smaller you wanted to, you want to have a bunch of uh, sisters in there because they didn't receive anything so that's how it was according to leviticus eleven seven. that was the um the standard for that so that's what this younger son here he's looking at this and he thinks i i need i need my money now i have things i gotta buy places i have to go so dad give me my 33.333 percent so he's cashing in his inheritance. Well, most fathers wouldn't do this, but this dad was something else. He went ahead and said, well, let's go ahead and pass out the money. So sure enough, in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. He did, this young man did not understand the value of money. He got his money, and there went his money. He literally, the Bible said, he squandered it. He wasted, he, it's like pouring money down the drain. And it's gone. Foolish living, nothing to show for his entire 33.3%. And that's what we have here. And, he, it, and what's interesting about when it's, you want to squander your money, you, you leave daddy's sight. So you have to go to a distant country. You go somewhere else. You go where there's no accountability. And that's where he's gone. A lot of folks are here in Lexington, and they're here squandering not just their money, they're squandering their life, and they're in a distant country. Verse 14. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs what that meant is this is a jewish man here he's now in a pig pen and this is an unclean animal the pig pen here according to um uh, book of leviticus there verse chapter 11 it says they are unclean animals 
for the Jewish folks not only just to eat, but they're not even to touch these animals. So all of a sudden, this Jewish young man, he's hit rock bottom. He's homeless. The famine hit. That meant the stock market went down. Tough times all of a sudden. The country's in a recession. He can't find a job, so what do I do? I go to the lowest of low places. So he is here in a foreign country working for non-Jewish folks in their pig pen with an unclean animal. You can't think of a worse job to be doing right now for a Jewish man. Verse 16. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. The pods were some, it was some form of a carob that grew out of the ground that the pigs would eat. So this poor guy, even, even he couldn't eat the pig food. I mean, you can't think of a worse position for this guy to be in. And what's sad about this is this young man had it all. He's, he's, lo- he's, lo- he's lost it. You know, the, um, the distant country is one step outside the will of God. A lot of times for the distant country, you don't ha- even have to go anywhere. You just have to go away from God, and you are in a foreign country. And that's where he's at right now. Verse 17, this is when the repentance, this is when the change of lostness comes in. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. You always remember, when, you're in your, when you were in the pig pen, you always get a better view of Daddy's house. He always thought Dad was mean and regressive, but now I'm in a pig pen. Maybe my, even the people, that those guys I used to make fun of, Dad's hired workers, they, they'll hire me back. They weren't as bad as they used to be. All of a sudden, they look more attractive. I'll get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So that's his plan. He knows his speech, what he's going to say. This is when someone gets saved. He's realizing, I have to change my life. I'm not going anywhere living this way. And for so many folks, they have to hit rock bottom before they change. And that's what this, this guy had to do. It's that, that's when God gets a hold of folks, when they're at the very bottom of the barrel. Verse 20, So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. His dad had to each day go outside and look and see, I wonder if my son is coming home. So for him to just be hoping to see, wow, my, my, that's my son a long way off, he had to be looking for him. So this father was eagerly hoping, praying that his son is going to come home. I spoke to someone today who is praying for one of their grandchildren to get saved. And that's what we see. We see when, when we're eager, when we're waiting, when there's an anticipation There's a desire to see their children or grandchildren come to know the Lord. So this man, he's basically, he's showering him with love. The son said to him, verse 21, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now what's interesting about this, the father cuts him off. That's not the entire speech he had, he had rehearsed. After that first sentence, he stopped it. And look what he said here. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So see, it's just like the boy comes back broke, squandered all his inheritance, and now we're having a great party. This young man's thinking, wow, this is not what I anticipated. He didn't get to finish his rehearsed statement. His dad completely accepted him back. There was no sense of where have you been? I can't believe you. You're so disappointing. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of you. There's total, no judgmental attitude towards this young man. And in fact, we're now having a party for him. Now, the story could end there. That's the first son. He's done. There's nothing more with him. In fact, Jesus could have stopped at verse 24 and just ended this parable and said, well, that's great. That's a picture of God who child son goes off, a lost person goes out and squanders their money, and God accepts them back. He's not accepting them. He's looking for people who are coming to Him, looking for folks who are coming to church to listen to His Word preached. And He welcomes them with open arms. But that's, that's not what happens here. Remember, there's another son. The story now takes a twist. And this is where I believe most of us fall into the story. Most of us fit in with the older son. I know I would. I don't know if my parents would agree with that here on the front row, but I would agree I'm, I would be the older son. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. You know, this guy's in the field. What's he doing in the field? He's working in the field. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he comes in, and he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. You know, for most folks, obviously they would want their son back. The dad wanted his son back, but this brother, the older brother, did not want his little brother back. In fact, he was probably glad he's gone. We got him out of here. He didn't belong here anyway. He didn't fit in at the house. He wasn't a good younger brother. So look what happens here. We've now have a party for this younger brother. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. Now he's having a pity party. He refuses to walk into the house. And he, <clears throat> so his father came out and pleaded with him. You know, this dad is something else. He has to go out looking for his younger son, take care of him. Then his other son's having a protest. He has to go out there and meet the protester who refuses to come in. And he goes and he pleads with his son. But the older son says, verse 29, He replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. This older son is saying, Dad, 
I've got nothing from you. All I do is get up and go to work. I'm so faithful. I'm loyal. I'm the son you've always wanted. And I've never received anything from you. And in verse 30, but when this son of yours, notice he doesn't call it his brother because he's so angry. He just, when this son of yours comes home who has devoured your assets, remember the oldest son, what all he thinks about is money. He looks at his son and thinks, this man has just wasted the money. He comes home after squandering all your money with prostitutes. What do you do? You slaughter the fattened calf for him. Dad, I can't believe you. All this man does is wasted your money that you work, that I even help you work so hard on. And he has nothing to show for it, and now we're having a party for him. This is terrible, Father. Don't you get it? Verse 31. Look at the, look at the son. Look at the response from the father to the oldest son. Son, he said to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, and I think it's real important that the father reminded his oldest son that he says that not this son of mine, but this brother of yours, because there was a relationship there, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What happened right here is Jesus just told this older brother that even though you didn't want him saved, even though you weren't happy of what the, repent, the change this young man made, I am because he was spiritually dead. And when he came to his senses, he became a different man. Now he is someone who's going to serve Serve the family, serve the Lord. So when you look at the parable of the lost son, we know the older, the youngest son ends up being saved. He ends up being found. He was once dead and he's lost. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that the oldest son was saved. In verse 31, here's what we have. Remember, what does the oldest son want? He wants to manage the assets and the money well. And in verse 31, the father, remember the story here, the father represents God. God is saying, older son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I mean, oldest son, you've always wanted money. You're so consumed about money and things and and the 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 uh, inheritance that we have the farm and you know what you've got it that's what you've got here's your money it's all yours now because I we have you know it has to be yours because the youngest son's already squandered it all that's left is really yours he says you want the money fine you're gonna get it but this son or this brother it says he was dead. The deadness we're talking about is a spiritual deadness. He was spiritually lost, separated from God, and he was saved. 
This story ends with the lost son being the older son. Because the lost son wanted assets. He wanted money the most. The father valued the heart, the repentance. He valued the younger son living for the Lord. He wanted, he wanted sons who are alive. He wanted sons who were saved. This father in the story knew what was most important. The most important thing for his boys was they had a right relationship with the Lord. The prodigal son gave his life to Christ. The older son received a bunch of money. And that's how the story ends. I want to go over our takeaways here. Our takeaways, we do not give up on people when they turn away from family and turn away from God. The older father never gave up on his son. Never gave up on. Number two, we follow Jesus' example and minister to sinners instead of spending your whole life with the righteous. It would have been easy to just hang out with someone like the older son. He's got it together. He's, 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 um, he's just like the Pharisees. But Jesus intentionally shared a story with the Pharisees. Hey, do you want to know why I eat with the sinners? Remember, we're answer- the whole purpose of this parable is to answer that charge. Is why do you hang out with the sinners? Because Jesus wants these sinners saved. And if you want to see sinners saved, you have to go where the sinners are. You have to step into their world. Four reasons right here. Last thing we're going to see. I think we're going to put them up here on the board. Four reasons in your handout why lost people need to repent. This young man repented of his sins, and he was saved. Number one, we must repent because sin destroys our lives. It certainly does. Sin destroys our lives. Many of us here, you maybe your life hasn't been destroyed, but we all know someone that has gone down a road where they have, they have been left wounded. They have been left empty. And in, the, in this story here with the prodigal son, the sin was this older son. He became angry. He felt he was entitled to something. And all he ended up with was wealth. And Jesus is saying, what destroys your life is when you don't know, know me. Number two, we must repent because we are great We are of great worth in God's sight. Great worth. God values lost people. He values the lost sheep. He values the lost coin. And He values the lost son. He goes after them. Number three, we must repent because it brings joy to God. God, in this illustration here with the lost coin, it says the angels were celebrating. They were excited about what happened. There was anticipation. Listen, The most exciting thing that can happen at this church is when a lost person gets saved. Now, there's all sorts of ways to get saved. It doesn't mean they have to walk the aisle, but they might get saved in Iwana or in Sunday school. But folks are intentionally about sharing the gospel. If that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. If we as Christians aren't excited about lives being changed and folks getting saved, we're hopeless. Because the Bible says... That's the reason and the purpose that Jesus Christ came. We should be constantly pointing people and bringing joy to God. Listen, if it brings joy to God, it should bring joy to us. Number four, last thing, we must repent 
because it reflects the miracle of the new birth. It is a miracle when you see a lost person quit living for their selfishness and their sin, and they turn to the Lord. That's the greatest miracle in the world. You know, we can get hung up on healings. We can get hung up on other possibly miracles that we want to see, but Jesus wants the miracle of the new birth. Jesus described this with Nicodemus, as I shared this morning. It's something that only the Spirit can do when the wind blows. You do not see spiritual rebirth. It's a miracle done by God, but all of a sudden you see someone who was once lost, and all of a sudden they're now saved. Listen, I know. I want you all to really be praying for our church's teenagers, our youth group. You know, this, the, uh, last year when Zach took a group to a um, uh, winter retreat there in Pigeon Forge, they had like three or four decisions. And I know some of these, he has 25 teenagers going. They're leaving Saturday morning. Some of them are spiritually lost. Some of them are just friends of other folks, and we have no idea if they've ever even go to church. They're, that is an evangelistic, gospel-centered conference. There'll be an opportunity, multiple opportunities, for them to trust Christ as their Savior. How exciting would it be to come back when multiple teenagers who were once spiritually lost, they trusted in Christ, and they're ready to live for Him. That should be joy for us. That is the miracle of the new birth. We live in a lost city. We have to see it that way. If the father, in this story, the parable of prodigal son, one son is wild and wicked. He has, he's out there having to meet him and says, hey, well, he's a long way off. He sees him coming on. He has a great party. One son's coming back to the Lord. The other one's out in the field having a pity party and refuses to come in. The father here is God. So wherever you're at, if you're the lost soul coming trying to come back home or you're the one out in the field who feels you're self-righteous and you don't need, you don't need to have a father who's uh, compassionate like that, God had to go to both of them and tell them they were both in error. One was repentant, the other one wasn't. We want to be like the younger son who had a repentant attitude. He came to his senses and realized, I have sinned. That young man is in heaven today. Now, obviously, this is a parable, meaning it didn't really happen. It's a story illustrating something with a deeper meaning. The deeper meaning is, Jesus is telling you and I tonight, if you're not careful, you will be like the older son. You will find yourself just like the Pharisees going around saying, this man welcomes sinners. They were looking at Jesus to how to trip him up. And Jesus was looking at people thinking, who's ready to repent and enter the kingdom of God? Lord, I pray that we will be like you. We will have eyes that are spiritual eyes looking for people who are ready to turn and trust in you as their Savior. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these three stories here. Whether it's the parable of the lost son, the lost sheep, or the lost coin. Lord, there's lostness all around. And I pray we're bold and we're ready to respond to your word. Jesus, I pray that we will be a church that's constantly advancing the gospel, telling folks about you. I thank you for what you're doing. We pray for the teenagers this coming Saturday that they go out 
and that when they go to Pigeon Forge, a winter, their winter retreat, Strength to Stand conference, that they will clearly hear the gospel and teenagers will respond in faith and repentance. Lord, we give you this invitation. I pray your spirit moves and we see lives change tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David Dale is going to lead us in our song. We close every single service with invitation. You can join our church. You can make a decision to follow Christ. You can come home to the Lord. I want to invite everyone to stand up. I'll be waiting down front for you to respond. As I am, thou wilt receive, will welcome pardon, cleanse, relief, because I promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as David, I'm going to ask everybody to be seated real quick. Um, uh, God's certainly been moving, and uh, great things have been happening. Uh, Ruth, Charlie, y'all come stand up here. Yes, <coughs> Ruth, Charlie, y'all come stand up here. This here is uh, Charlie and Ruth Shepherd. They've been coming to our church for um, several months now, uh, for a while, and Ruth went through our, um, we call it the Welcome to Broadway class, so I know she completed that. Charlie works on Sunday morning, so he's not able to make it to our morning worship service. So um, uh, I have spoke to them about um, joining our church. They're coming tonight to transfer their membership from a local area Baptist church. So it's certainly exciting. We're excited about the Shepherd family, and we're excited also for them making Broadway their church home. So if you're excited for Ruth as well as Charlie coming and uniting with our church this evening, will you join me in saying amen? Amen. amen. That is. All right, y'all just come scoot down and stand right here. Brian, Crystal, y'all can fill that out here in a little bit, so with that. This here is um, Brian and Crystal Taylor. Let's see, y'all come stand over here. And um, they also are coming and transferring their membership to our church from another uh, local area church. And um, uh, Crystal is a member of a, a Baptist church, and Brian came, is coming from a different denomination, a denomination that participates in believers' baptism. So th they have four children, and um, they're actually all four children are down in Awanas right now. None of them have been baptized, so their uh, children you know, wouldn't be joining. It's just Brian and Crystal. Tell me the names of uh, in the ages of y'all's children. Wait, tr tr 12, so he's in middle school. Is he going, so Tristan's 12, is he going to uh, youth, uh, the, uh, okay, okay. And the, um, Christina, she's going to nine. Christina's nine. And Cameron is six. Cameron's six. And we also have my brother, and Chase is nine as well. So, so that is, so three of the four children, one's that was, hanging out with Zach in the youth group, and then three are downstairs in Awana. So that is exciting. So they are coming and uniting here with our church and uh, they, um, being a part of uh, the great things going on home with Broadway. So if you are excited for Brian and Crystal Taylor uh, joining Broadway Baptist Church, will you join me in saying amen? So it is, we are excited for these families.
We always have our receiving line, so I'm going to invite everyone to stand up, and we'll close our service here with a song. And before you run out the back door, you need to come up front and congratulate and shake the hands of these wonderful folks and welcome them to Broadway. I, I just got word a few minutes ago. That